Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Thanks. Thanks. Excellent job, you guys. Just an excellent job. We are so proud of Brittany and Stephen and what's going on at East Village and the team from down there is doing such an incredible job. And um, we're really... We're really looking forward to what's happening over these next few years. By 2025, we plan on having three more campuses, which would be a total of five uh, in our city. A number of years ago, um, uh, probably uh, maybe a decade ago, I asked the Lord about uh, reaching a city because we became part of Christian City Church, CCC, in 2014, and we moved from community and focusing on a community to focusing on our city. And uh, I asked the Lord, like, how do I influence this city? What would be our, how would we do that? And, you know, I felt very clearly that he said, if you take the gates, you'll take the city. And so the reason that we're at this gate, the west gate, is the first gate that we plan to take in our city. But there's the north, the south, the east, yet to take. And so we're not quite sure how that's going to happen but we feel that in our lifetime, we want to influence the city of Calgary. And so that's part of how we're doing it. And, and then to have one in the core at East Village, that's, it's pretty exciting. So anyway, just really proud of them, what they're doing. And that team down there is really, really phenomenal. I'm starting a new series today. Um, and um, uh, it's called Game Plan. Um, I'm going to be going through the book of Nehemiah and talking about not just how to build a church, but how to build a life, how to build a business, how to build a family. It's going to work. It has a few pieces to it. And we find our game plan in the scriptures. Um, as we look at uh, Nehemiah's uh, steps that he took, I think they give us a template of how we can build a life, or in, in his case, rebuild the walls. And we're going to talk about walls and gates and some pieces. This is a this will be four parts for us all through the book, all through the um, month of uh, September, and um, and I just like to uh, bring a few very clear principles on how to build or rebuild your life. And so, just before we read the scriptures, would you just bow with me today in prayer, Father? I'm so thankful for your word that directs us, corrects us, and it also protects us. And today, as we listen to your voice through your word, we pray that you would speak to each of us personally that we might be able to respond in great faith and do great exploits on the earth. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of the great challenges of <clears throat> in ministry is measuring success, measuring how are we doing. As a farmer, it was sort of easy for me. You would, uh, you know, finish this field, and you go, oh, well, there, we're done. At the end of the day, you'd know, oh, we've got so much done. Uh, but in ministry, it's never done. <laughs> There's a world to reach. It's never done. And, um, and I think that one of the goals of ministry, I don't know, you should, you actually in your journal someday, you should write out what's, what are the qualities of a mature follower of Jesus? What, what, are, what, does, what does spiritual maturity even look like? Um, I've got some hunches. Uh, I'm not going to give you them right now. I'd like you to explore that. What's it mean to be a mature follower of Christ? We find that you can actually get old but not mature. 
You just get old. Years will do that to you. Um, but I find that for me, I've been able to get older and not mature, but I've, I've not been able to mature without changing. I think you can change without growing, but I don't think you can grow without changing. And I think the qualities of Christ, when we look at them in Scripture, because one of the goals of a mature follower of Christ is he, he actually becomes more and more like Christ. But I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but you can actually fake Christ-likeness. Have you noticed that? probably haven't even thought of that. It's a, it's a, it's a traumatic thought. <laughs> so as I look at this, I, I, again, I go back to that Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. That's interesting of how the Lord builds, because he doesn't just build by himself. They, he builds with the they. He needs people to build his house. <laughs> people who will listen to him and respond to him. And uh, so I want to confront a little bit of the apathy in our worlds, because I think sometimes that the opposite of love is likely not hate. It's probably apathy, not, be, not being courageous enough to do something and step out and confront some of the evil that's around us. Rebuilding a life, rebuilding a family, a church, or a business, Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want to just re restate our mission as a church is to build the church. That's what I think the greatest project, building project on the earth right now is the church. That's what I think. I think that what Jesus is doing on the earth is he's building his church. And uh, he's building it a certain way so that the gates of hell will not be able to oppose it. And so when he builds it, I believe, when he builds a family, when he builds a business, there's no opposition that can stop it. Um, I'm just thinking of a passage in, in uh, 1 John that says, whatsoever, uh, how does it say, whatever is of uh, the Lord overcomes the world. How does that go? Uh, random, useless thought. Something about what's birthed of the Lord actually is, it's, it's, it's eternal, and it, it's going to come to pass. It's something like that. So anyway, I, I want to I talk about that. I want you to turn to Nehemiah. I want to welcome my mom that's here this morning. Uh, it's great to have her with us today. Who can verify the things that I'm about to say, sort of, but maybe not really. But I, I'm, I'm quite grateful I grew up before technology hit. My, my social network was called Outside. <laughs> and it was different. We drank from garden hoses and rode in the back of pickup trucks, and we made it. <clears throat> um, Nehemiah chapter 1, um, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I think it's important. I'd encourage you to read through this five or six times this week and get, get an understanding of what it means to build. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It, it was the autumn of the 12th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, so it's kind of November-ish. October-ish. And as at the fortress of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had survived the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And this is what they said to me. Things are not going that well for those that returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and the gates have been burned. Walls and gates. We're going to talk about walls and gates. Not today, but eventually. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. 
We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and laws and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you sin, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. I love that. We are your servants. The people you rescued by your own great power and might. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant us success now as I go to the king for, the, for a great favor. And put it into his heart to be kind to me. In, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer, chapter 2 and verse 1. Early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I was serving the king wine. And I, was, and I had never appeared sad in his presence before this time. So the king says, why are you so sad? Let's just stop there. Um, I want to look at just a few things about building and rebuilding a life. He's referring to a time in Scripture, just, just meanwhile back in Persia. I'll give you a little background. Um, um, it's about 600 B.C., and the Babylons have invaded Judah and destroyed Jerusalem along with Solomon's temple in, in the third of such raids. And on all occasions, they took captives, and they resettled them back in Babylon. Uh, you'll remember the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, which was probably the first invasion. Uh, they took them back to Babylon. Seventy years after the first invasion, Cyrus, the king of Persia, gave permission to return and rebuild the temple. This is an important, important phrase, important thought. Under lead, the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel, I'm so glad we're not naming our kids like that anymore, <clears throat> and they did, and they, they looked good for a while, but the people, ref, re, they, they refused to turn from their ungodly lifestyles. This is what he's repenting for. He's, he, they, ref, they refused to turn. And the temple was not maintained. Sacrifices ceased, and by the time our story begins, the political, social, and spiritual conditions in Jerusalem were terrible. This may be the situation in your life. Maybe the situation in your family. It may be the situation in your business. I'm referring to these three specific domains today. Uh, it may be the case in a church. If you, so I'm looking at how do we build and or rebuild according to the patterns of God. Meanwhile, back in Persia, a young sommelier. So Nehemiah was a, he was a wine taster. Not bad. Um, Babylon was not likely known for its wine, it still isn't, but um, it might have been Bordeaux or the French region or something might have been interesting. Probably the wine was terrible, but um, it's interesting to me, I, I still find this fascinating, that God calls a sommelier to do a construction project. He, this is not his formal training. Here's the point. He may ask you to do something that's outside of your formal training. It's staggering to think that he would take a young shepherd because he was grooming a king named David. He actually still does things like that. He takes people that are farmers, at which, and, and, and the crop at that time was not legal that I was growing. It's legal now. But he takes, takes a farmer to actually become a church builder. This is still remarkable to me, just the, the hand of God, touch of grace, favor of the king, I don't know, but that he would call somebody who was completely, like, he, unequipped to do a construction project. Here's what I'm trying to say. Just be careful with the excuses you use when God asks you to do something. Nehemiah would not have a set of power tools. 
It would have been outside of his realm of skill and or ability, which actually, when God calls you to do something, it's probably good because your abilities are actually not as important as his abilities through you. That's the big deal. So, so he's a young cupbearer, uh, and he gets stirred up after hearing some bad news about his homeland. He feels something rumble, and it wasn't bad wine. Something is stirring within him. It causes him to actually weep. He, he, he is appropriately emotional. As you read through the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that he was not an emotional man given to emotionalism. When you read about his character and how he responded to people, it's kind of hilarious. After you read through the book a few times, you'll notice that. He was not, he was not unstable emotionally. He was shaken and stirred. He was burdened. Something caught his heart. Sometimes a distraction can become a vision. And it, it kind of took him by surprise. This wasn't, by the way, historically, the walls had been down for about 140 years. He's not the first Jew that knew about it. You might be wondering if God's stirring in your heart to do something. Well, you might say, well, why, why didn't somebody else do that? It's been like that for a long time. That's not the point. He's waiting for somebody to say, here am I. I'm going to set my agenda aside. going to leave my excuses aside. And Lord, what is it you want me to do? And it may easily be outside of your skill set, and it may cause you to feel a bit terrified. Quite likely, that's the Lord. I know. It's hilarious. It drove him, but it drove him to a season of prayer. This is what's important to us. And I'm going to look at the first thing about rebuilding your life, you need to have a vision. He had a clear vision. Well, the, it got clearer. It's kind of like a Polaroid picture. He got a picture, but then it got clearer as he prayed. Then it became to de- began to develop. Um, but here's what he did. He was thrown into a season of prayer. And, and this prayer right here, we'll look at in a little bit of detail. It's one of 12 different prayers through Nehemiah. I think it's wonderful. But he goes into a season of prayer. Um, he never knew that the first tremors in his heart were the initial birth pains of a great vision that would be, we would be reading like 2,800 years later. His vision didn't begin with a vision. His vision began with a burden. My question to you, what is it that stirs in your heart? What is it that makes you sad? What is it that makes you glad? What is it that makes you mad? That's probably a clue to a problem that God is calling you to solve. It didn't begin with a clear picture. It began with a disappointment. Why isn't somebody doing something about this? Every one of you will find some disappointment in your life. If you look through your life, you'll look, and you'll look around and you'll say, why is that like that? This needs to be different. So it begins with this sense that something needs to change. That's where vision begins. You, you, you start to think of uh, what could be, and it moves to what should be. It moves from being just a, that's not right, and it moves to somebody better do something about that, and if nobody's going to do something about that, I guess that's me who's supposed to do something about that. Not everybody notices everything you do uh, in our old building. Uh, a young electrician looked around and he said, gosh, you've got a whole bunch of electricity, like all these things are not finished. 
And they said, thanks for noticing that. That's your vision. <laughs> Finish that up. You look around. You might see something. Why isn't this happening? Don't come to me specifically and say, Pastor, you should do something about that. If you notice something, that's a clue to a problem God is asking you to solve. Confronting to us, isn't it? Point number one, a building block of life is vision. We can't overstate this, but, but I think it's a building block of life. Hebrews chapter 11 says that we know that things, this is what we know, uh, we know that things that were created were created from things that were not seen. Not that weren't real, but just were not seen. From the unseen real. Can you see a better life? Can you see a better marriage? Can you see a brighter future? Can you see a profitable business? You need to be able to see something better, a condition that's better. It begins by you seeing something that isn't yet. That's what vision is. A preferred, beautiful future. And, and then you need to figure out ways of how you can capture that, and then what are the steps in doing that? And the first step should be that we pray. That's what he does. Um, I believe that where there's no vision for the future, there's no faith in the present. We're told in, in Proverbs that without vision, people perish. Um, I could say to you likely that where there is no vision in, this, in a specific area in your life, that area is per perishing. So, you, so we need to have vision. And, uh, and, and I don't mean like fantasy. Uh, there's a way to sift whether it's a good vision or a God vision. A vision requires an individual to act courageously. Somebody to put their neck in the line. The person, this person has allowed their hearts and minds to migrate towards a, a beautiful future, to see a better world, and to carry deep within them the confidence to see it through. Vision is indiscriminate, neither male or female, Jew or Greek, young or old. Chances are you likely received some vision when you were younger about your life. Uh, my question is, who stole that? Because there's one who's, who's a vision and a dream and a passion stealer. There's one who will steal that. Um, so, so this happens in our life. Vision can come from a distraction, but it get, captures your heart. And you think to yourself, something must be done. And if you're not careful, you'll say, someone should do something about that. It's hard to miss that Nehemiah was, he was just doing what he was asked to do. When did the vision come? When he was serving the king. I have people fairly frequently telling me what they want to do. I say, well, where are you serving now? <laughs> where are you being faithful right now? Yeah, I'm sure you want to speak to stadiums full of people. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure you want to be a rock star. Uh -huh. where, what are you doing now? At what, what level are you just simply serving the king right now? While he was serving the king, you understand the metaphor. You're just doing what you are asked to do in the context of your world. You're just serving. It's, it's the pathway to greatness, right? Where are you serving? Where are, lay, where are you laying down your agenda, letting go of your dream to help someone else's dream? He's serving the king. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Um, but it's hard to see sometimes that, that our destinies get released while we're serving properly in a proper position. We've been giving an area of trust and we're serving in that area. In that place of servanthood, his heart was opened. 
And, uh, and I love that without the king, he would not have favor. I think this is such an important part. Um, certainly, he was not the first Jew to think about this or talk about this. But how did he know that he was the one? That's important for me. Vision has at least three parts, and the fulfilling of a vision has at least three parts. It usually starts with something that's bigger than you alone. If you can do it, it's your vision. <laughs> You've just now signed up for serving your kingdom come <laughs> rather than his kingdom. <laughs> so it's secondly, after it's bigger than you, it's bigger than you alone, it becomes a moral imperative. By that I mean if somebody do, if you don't, if, 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 you're, if you don't move on this, it's almost going to be sinful. Something needs to be done. And the third thing about a God-shaped vision is that it lines up with the scriptures. It's part of the great kingdom mandate on the earth. It's quite simple for us as we're here to build the church. Uh, we have three or four specific core values and three key objectives. We think this is how Jesus did it. One is relationship, builds relationship with some people. The next is discipleship, leads them on a path of training. Third is leadership, empowering them to a place of influence and authority. We, we think this is the way we're going to build the church. Relationship, discipleship, and leadership. That's how it's going to be. Um, I think this is very easy. Um, when we, sorry, easy, it's clear that what he did, and the first thing we do when we receive a vision, we start to get a burden from the Lord about a specific vision, I think the first thing we're going to do is nothing. Just go, okay, hold it, hold it. Faith waits, hold it with a good attitude, waits, and it begins to pray. Say, Lord, what's underneath this? What's, what's, why the stirring? Why the, why the emotion? What's going on here? Uh, the reason I read chapter 2 is because earlier the following spring. Why is that important? Well, because it was November that he got the burden. This was a four-and-a-half-month prayer meeting. It wasn't a weekend. <laughs> the, the process of prayer, you understand, is not, is not, the, not, not the pushing of a button and expecting a candy bar to come out. Your, your idea of a vendor god will be very disappointing. It's about developing a relationship. That's what prayer is. What's happening in this process? You're, you're being matured, and you're being developed, and you're being shaped. You're, you're honing your convictions. You're allowing that time of prayer to let go of your agenda and get a hold of his agenda. And I'll find that you're being, the, the, the vision is being knit together like a little baby in the womb. Premature births are not good. I mean, they're not great. I mean, you know what I mean. Let me, better example would be trying to pick fruit that's not ripe. We used to have, we used to have a, a strawberry farm. And when you pick those white strawberries, you rip the whole branch off. Whole, right? Good. Yeah. Immature fruit. It, there's a proper maturation process. You understand what I'm saying? In prayer, you're developing your heart and your capacity and your compassion. You're shaping the vision. You're letting go of all your crazy ideas, and you're getting a hold of his ideas. Prayer is a process. I find that most often a vision doesn't need to be acted on right away. It needs to be soaked in prayer, intercession, fasting, sorting, confirming, seeking counsel and scriptures. So, it's not, so you realize, oh, this is not just my idea. 
The burden becomes a blessing when we place it before the Lord. I love in chapter 8 it says that, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I know it starts off with weeping, but it ends with joy. That process. Um, Psalm 30 says, reminds us that there's a time of weeping, but then joy comes in the morning. There's a season of weeping to end and a time for joy to begin. That it begins to leap in your heart. His prayer includes declarations of God. I just love, if you, if you read chapter 4 to about verse 11, you'll probably find some very similar parallels to what we would call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. He begins by saying, basically, our, the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven. Underline the word, our. This is not a solo sport. We come before the Lord on behalf of not just ourself, but our and, he, and he, he lays out some clear things about who God is. I think that's really okay. He reminds them of his covenant. In um, verse 5, he reminds that he's the one who forgives sin. Because why? The state of, Je- of uh, Jerusalem and the people are in a state of sin. Uh, what a pattern for prayer. I, but, but you need to notice the pronoun as you read through it. And because you highlight your prayers, we are people who trash your Bibles. It means we've worked them over. And you notice the the pronoun as you move down through it, and it says, I confess that we have sinned against you. What has Nehemiah done? He's not done anything wrong. But what's he doing? He's identifying with the entire body of Christ at that time, his nation. Here's what we have to be careful of uh, is is an us and them mentality. (laughs) This week we had intercession for the pride parade and for the Pentecostal conference downtown. They both needed covering. <laughs> we. He's not coming on behalf of himself. He's identifying with the entire nation of what's taken place. Can you feel with your city as you're praying? Can you feel with your family as you're praying? Can you feel with our nation as we're praying? I'm not saying I want a different prime minister. Back to my notes. <laughs> sort of. I mean, you understand. Identification and prayer keeps our hearts soft. It's never them. We're apart. Your world is too small if you're only praying for yourself. Our Father, heart in heaven, forgive us our sins. This is what prayer does. It reminds us that we're part of a much bigger body than just our own self. It identifies, identificationally, there's always an order, but there's never blaming. Joshua 7 reminds us when Achan has sinned, most of you know the story. God said in chapter 7 and verse 1 that Israel had sinned because one man sinned. Do you understand the corporateness of the body of Christ? That, that we are part of that. Don't be pointing at other people's dysfunctions. It says, because, because for God, a sin of one was a sin of the nation. Our, it's during this time that we get structure and order within our hearts. We learn the when, because the timings of God are so important. Don't you, does some of you ever feel a bit sorry for Moses? Moses had the what, he just had the when a little off. Ended up going to the University of Hard Knocks in the Sinai Desert. But he had a great call, didn't he? He had the right, he had the right, he's going to deliver Israel, right? But he's going to do it his way. Right word, bad timing. You can have a great word. I'll tell you what will kill a vision is bad timing. What happens in prayer? We get the timing of the Lord. 
<laughs> That's what we do. You can have the best idea in the world, the best vision in the world. Are you able to sit with that and let the Lord develop that and shape that within you and actually do the changing with you until it's time for the releasing of that, the what and the when? Um, he could have shared his burden with a bunch of others, could have set out across the desert, charging off on his own. He could have sloughed off on his duties, but he did the hard thing. He waited, something we hate to do. He waited. Um, the fact is, not only does the vision need to, to mature, but we do as well. If you're, if you're praying in your marriage and you're not praying we, it's always about the spouse, you'll miss the primary dynamic of how a family works. Don't, don't be saying, Lord, change him. Yeah, maybe he needs changing, but so do you. So, so, so sometimes when you say amen, I'll move faster. Something, <laughs> amen, okay. And one, and one husband said, amen, get moving. <clears throat> Um, David would say that between the pasture and a palace, there was a process. Nehemiah would say, from a cupbearer to the construction pro project, there's a process. That's what he would say. A process about prayer. Uh, we've heard it said before, God closes one door and opens another. Bishop Garlington says, yes, but there's hell in the hallway. <laughs> I call that the birth canal. It's dark. Let me out of here. If you've not been birthed a dream before, but this is what happens. Lord, let it move it, move it along. Well, there's a certain process. It's a there's a time. You hear what I'm saying? All right. Um, just, um, I, love, I love that he didn't just quit his job and move to Jerusalem. Do you notice that? Somebody came to me one day and said, God's calling me to Zaire. I don't know if you're in the room right now. I don't think so. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you? And they said, no, our family. I said, whoa, whoa, have you talked to them? No, no, they'll get it. Take some time. You need to talk to some people. Here's what he did. He didn't quit his job. I love that. Here's what we have to remember, I think, in the, the, the birth of a vision. That permission creates protection. He got all the permissions that were necessary to move him through. He, without the king's permission, and he, he would call it the king's favor. Pray for, he prayed for kindness in the king's heart. But he moved slow. He needed the king's permission because he was a catalyst in the process. He was an appointee of the king. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. The proper permission means protection. The, the entire project was destined to fail without permission. Yeah, and you can read through that and you'll get a... I've had some amazing bad ideas. <laughs> but when we think about the type of vision that the Lord has asked us to partner with, something happened. He picked a fight on the hillside of Calvary against darkness, and we are still fighting that battle. Um, I'll talk more of that in the future. Um, I, I think it's, it's interesting that, 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 that if Jesus were to preach his specific message in North American churches, he'd probably get applauded. But, but just creating a better social condition will, wouldn't have got him crucified. He assaulted darkness. He went against they, the, the trend and the culture of that time. And my last point, nothing works if we don't. Responsibility. 
Um, the Lord needs a man or a woman. I love Proverbs chapter 24. I've always loved this phrase where it says, wisdom builds the house. And, it's, and, and by understanding, it's established. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled. Knowledge, just knowing something, will not build. The Bible says that knowledge just puffs up. Wisdom builds. If you are wise, you are building. You're not tearing down a house. You're building a house. You're building a dream. You're building a vision. Irresponsibility is the result of lazy theology. Owning our life and our responsibility is our superpower. In the Garden of Eden, something took place where they were given endless choices. Um, they were created free. And they had to have a tree to say no to because without choice, there's no freedom. And without freedom, there's no choice. You always have a choice. In this church, you'll always have a choice. You'll never be told. I mean, you'll be encouraged strongly, perhaps. <laughs> but you'll never be told really what to do because I respect your personal choice. You get to live the life you want to live. You get to build the dream you want to build. I'm just saying that it's probably bigger than you could ever dream or imagine or think of. It's better. Your future is better and brighter than you could have thought of. But what came next in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, when he heard him coming, I love that God always comes. And he called Adam, but Adam hides. Why? Because shame had entered. Fear had entered because he had listened to the wrong voice. Most surprising and unexpected was his next response. And listen to me closely. This is very, very, very common. And this is what shame does. Here's what he did. He threw his wife under the bus. Because shame always blames. It doesn't take responsibility for its own actions. There was no shame or blame ever before. What was the result? The next thing that happened, so then God goes to the woman and says, what about that? Well, she couldn't blame him. He'd already blamed her. She blamed the snake. Snake had no options. He had nobody left to blame. But God didn't ask the snake. He told the snake. Uh, I'm intrigued by this. Erwin um, McManus said it in one of his books, he said, it's hard to know you're dead when you can't identify the symptoms. Men went from fullness to emptiness, and the first symptom was blame and shame. It's staggering to think that neither would own their own decisions. They acted like victims and found excuses for their condition. Is that like anybody you know? Well, if God wanted to build a wall, he would have built it himself. Bad theology. Well, if God wanted our marriage better, he would have done it himself. You're an idiot. God wanted to build a church, he'll do it himself. Are you kidding? Are you honestly, do you believe that? He needs a man or a woman who will say, Lord, here am I. I will do what you ask me to do. He, take, he needs people. You remember, he gave the authority over. It's now up to you and I to build a life. He said, how do you want to do it? You've got all these choices. All these choices. Here's what he said, but there's one bad choice. After the fall, you had one good choice, and every one other one's useless. The tree of life, his name is Jesus. After that one choice, every other choice is okay. <laughs> it's restoring. Who said you were powerless? Would it, would it have been, here's what I think to myself, would it have been that hard to say, that was me, it's my fault. If you run a business, are you always pointing at your other 
another manager or another, are you? You appointed the people. I never blame my wife for making bad choices. She made a good one. <laughs> Hello. Um, here, here's a critical, here, it's, it's interesting to me that what took place actually in that moment for Eve is that Adam loved himself more than he loved Eve. He was preserving himself. Imagine God watching your beautiful creation choose to protect itself rather than the gift that he had given her. Imagine his heart. In marketing, we call it whiffum. What's in it for me? That ideology will kill a marriage. Your, your prayer, is it my kingdom come or is it thy kingdom come? Nehemiah had to submit himself to the greater cause, the greater purpose. Uh, Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you want to know the secret to life? It's the scariest thing in the world. Let go of yours. It's terrifying. The first consequence of the fall was advocation of responsibility for our actions. We have some crazy ideas about what God's like. Instead of saying, Lord, why am I? Why are they? Why are they? Consider surrender and letting go. You can never change what you won't take responsibility for and own. No one's responsible for your problems, your circumstances, or your beliefs, but you. You are the most influential and powerful person in your life. Hundreds, probably thousands of Jews knew the story about the wall was down. But for Nehemiah, it caught his heart and he spent four and a half months praying, God, how do we do this? This is, it's a phenomenal story. Um, never be afraid of failure. It's all part of the process of success. I, I personally have reframed my life. I've said, uh, uh, about a month ago, I said, life begins at 60. I'm not getting old. Everything else was research. I don't want to repeat all those dumb mistakes. I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to do some, I want some new mistakes. Give me some more life. We're not giving up. There's too much life left in us. I want you to stand with me because I got some convictions in my heart. Uh, I'm willing to say to you today that I'll bet that there's probably at least five areas in each one of your lives that you need to begin to scribe a vision for. Probably. There would be your social life. Do you have a vision for your social life? Your family life, do you have a vision for that? Do you have a vision for your financial life? Do you have a vision for your career life? My assignment to you, because we give homework sometimes, is to let, write out the roles in your life and just, just write a one-sentence vision statement after that. This is very difficult. I've tried it over and over and over again. And then you have a look at that, and then you pray about that. Start to soak that. Some things will surface and some things won't. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we build lives as best we can. You might not agree with my ideas, but that's okay. I probably don't agree with some of yours. It's okay. Um, vision is birthed in a, in, in, in a heart of tension between what is and what should be. Um, and then eventually... A great vision begins to line up with the purposes and the kingdom of God on the earth. I want us to be people of vision. I'm going to pray for us now. And
Vision can come from primarily three sources. I think it comes from God, it can come from yourself, or it can come from the enemy. I'm going to pray that God would give you a brand new vision for your life. And, 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 and in color and begin to confirm that through wise voices and wise counsel in your life. I'm not sure of the tension you're facing right now. But I know that the Lord, what he wants to do is he wants to give you a future and a great hope. Would you just close your eyes with me as I, for I ask for a vision from heaven. Paul would say, I, wasn't, I was faithful to the heavenly vision. Father, we've had enough earthly visions. They, don't, they only motivate us until we fulfill them. But your vision, Lord, is greater and it's unending and it's eternal. I'm asking for people in this room that want a greater life, a bigger life, a fuller life. And I ask that they be willing to set aside their vision for your vision. I'm asking for a great vision for great families, great businesses, great futures. Lord, I thank you. You came to increase us and to give us a great future. I pray for men and women today, Lord, who are hopeful, but they're unsure of themselves or they're unsure of their circumstance. Today, let them know that they, they may as well be good and scared, but let them trust in you rather than trust in their own strengths or abilities. Father, I bless men and women here to build great lives. Build, let their hearts and, and let their belief systems and let their imaginations, Lord, get stimulated and recreated and redirected and recalibrated. Oh God, I ask, Lord, within our hearts, we'd have a great capacity to hear from you and know you. So Lord, on this weekend, in this place today, like Nehemiah, Lord, place upon our heart things that are on your heart and they cause us to weep, pray, and contend with our own selfish selves and bring your purposes to bear on the earth in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Seems to me that mornings like this, there could be people who really, really, really struggle with vision and they can't see what's next. I want to pray for you. This is, a, this is an easy, um, let me say this right, it's, it's easy for me to pray for vision for people. I, I, it's very easy. If you're able to receive a fresh vision for a certain area of your life, I want you to come to the front and I will lay hands on you. Call the service leaders to come up and close the service. I will, I will pray for you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week. <laughs>